0: A couple little extra things to read here this morning. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, it says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night, shall not cease. Isn't that a good word this morning? And then also, in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you, I will uphold you in my righteous hands. You know, as we look at all this, I know we've talked about it a lot already, but if we look at all this going on in the world, and you look at the stock market that's tumbling and crashing, and all these events being canceled, and, but you know what, the stock market can crash, but tomorrow morning, guess what? God is still on His throne. Yeah. Our God is still in control. Nothing is going to change that. Brothers and sisters, our God is in control. Amen. He is still faithful. He's st- we, st- as we still have life. We are still blessed. Amen? Amen. And you know, as I know Karen already alluded to it, but yesterday as I was traveling, every radio station I found, that's all they were talking about. And, but, you know, they look at the good things about it that look at the amount of time that families are going to have together. You know, The men aren't going to have all these sporting events to go to. Take them away from their families, right? Concerts. So the young people aren't going to have all these major concerts to go to. They're going to have time together. Seriously. And what a blessing. And it might might spark a revival. Like Gary said, That we'll have more time for the Word. We'll have more time for one another. Families can reunite together. And I pray that families would. Take time to really reflect now on what really is important: family, husbands and wives coming together and children and spending time together and loving on one another, and maybe they will have more time to, to go to the word of the Lord and get closer to Him. Amen. Amen. So because we, we all have so many things that distract us, we all do. And now maybe we'll have a few less distractions for a time being. The word we're going to be talking about that this morning distractions, you know, that, that come upon us. This morning, my message I titled, These Are My Mother and Brothers. I'm going to be reading from Luke again, chapter 8. Uh, we moved on from chapter 7. And I added, it's more than just a part about the mothers and brothers. So I backed all the way up to verse 1, and I'm going to be reading through verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So we had all these women that followed along. Women that had been healed or delivered or whatever, but they were touched by the power of God and they were touched by the power of His teaching. They believed on Jesus Christ. They're following along. They're providing. So they're probably preparing meals or whatever service He needed them to do. They're there providing for Jesus. Women, how important you are in the ministry of God's kingdom. Back then and still today... Women are some, the most, some of the most faithful, trustworthy. They are the ones that do probably most, the majority of the service in the churches today. Thank you, women, for your service. Amen. Thank the women back then for their service. You are very important. Great teachers, great preachers are many women. Thank the Lord for you. Verse 4, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. He says A sir went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things he cried, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You're going to hear this is going to be you're going to see this is going to be a focus this morning, that he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to rest to the rest it is given in parables. "...that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand." Now the parable was this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rocks are those who hear, when they hear they receive, it, receive the word with joy... And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in any time of temptation they fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked with the cares, the riches, the pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, they keep it, they bear fruit with it, and patience." No one who has lit a lamp covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be made known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken away from him." Verse 19, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mothers and brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. I'm going to repeat that. My mother and brothers. So Jesus Christ himself is saying, My mother and brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and magnify you. We know that you are the giver of life, the creator of all things. We know that you hold all things into the palm of your hands. And Father, we thank you for the life you've given each of us. We thank you for your word. And Father, we pray that your word would penetrate deep into our hearts this morning. Father, that it would produce a fruit for your kingdom, Father. That it would uh, benefit your kingdom and bring a great harvest. I pray that this word would go forth. This word that's going out over the internet. And I just pray that it would reach ears and hearts that need to hear it. That need to hear of your love and your mercy. And Father God, that they would receive the forgiveness that is willingly given to those that would humble themselves and repent of their sins. Father, I just pray that you would be glorified and that your name would be lifted high. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if it's me or I'm just getting a little warm up here this morning, but I'm getting a little warm up here this morning. (laughs) Karen says it's warm up here. The fan's not on. How come? Oh, okay. Very good. That explains why I'm warm. I've gotten used to the fan. Okay. You know, in biblical days tilling the ground, farming, raising livestock. They were two of the greatest means of employment back in biblical days. Now we know that there were other occupations. We know that there were tent makers and craftsmen of all sorts. But the largest means of employment in those days was farming. The Egyptians Egyptians excelled in agriculture. Though Israel itself, Israel when they gained possession of the promised land, the, their circumstances were ideal for tremendous agriculture. You remember the story about the promised land when they sent the spies and when they came back out they were carrying a, a clump of grapes. They were so large they had to carry them on a pole between them. So that's how fertile and how wonderful the ground was in Israel. So they had a beautiful ground. They had this extensive irrigation system where they had the, the waters from the mountains to come down and irrigate the land It made for a, a wonderful agricultural region where they could, they could produce rich crops, wonderful crops. People in Jesus' day understood the principle of sowing and reaping. They understood it. They knew about farming because there were so many farmers in that day. Today, you know, I believe that those of us who live in a rural area like we do or the country... I think most possess a pretty good understanding of what it takes to grow crops and to grow livestock. Most people, I think, you know, have a good idea of that. But I believe that you go to the suburbs and the big cities, I feel there's probably a lot of people there that have no clue all of the work that goes into providing all the supplies they go to pick up at the market. They don't understand that the ground has to be plowed and disc and tilled. And then seed planted and then sprayed and then weeded and all the work that goes in to where it's finally harvested and then the the work of getting it to the market and the work of raising livestock that they've got to be fed daily and daily and daily. I think there are many people in our society today that have no clue of all that it takes, all the work and all the process to bring stuff to the market. In the 1950s, There were about 7 million farms in America. 7 million. Anybody want to take a wild guess of how many there are today? 2.2 million. According to the statistics I could find, 2.2 million farms are left today. Now, I realize that a lot of these farms today are much larger than the farms of yesteryear. When we had 7 million farms, I realized a lot of those were smaller farms. These two million farms, they're producing a lot. I realize that. We have much more sophisticated and larger equipment than they had back in those days, so a farm today is you know, providing for a whole lot more families than they were back then. But where I'm going with this, when we had all of those farms, it provided a lot of place for employment for young people to go and work and help on the farm. So they had this understanding. Today there's fewer farms greater equipment, which is less people helping, so you don't have near as much understanding of all the work and everything it takes to farm and till the ground and produce a a crop. You know, I think back when I was a kid, at the age of eight and nine and and up, I started working at Stagmars in the summertime, picking strawberries and raspberries. And back in the 1960s and 70s, Stagmars, that was a, a big farm back in that day, they had a place on Christie Road where they had apple orchard. They had, he had like four different pieces of property that he owned. He had one down in Old Town. It was three miles long down on the river bottom where he had all the sweet corn planted. So that tells you that was a lot of sweet corn. I mean, he was huge. He had a, a place on top of a mountain called Collier's Mountain where he had the peach orchard, uh, nectarines, and raspberries. Strawberries were down on Christie Road. Or Williams Road, I mean. Williams Road. So it was a big farm. And he employed a lot of young people. So I'm talking kids from 8 years old, 9, 10, 12, up to, you know, to teenager. Or 16, even 17. So he would go, not not, not the owner, but he would have one of the adults or, you know, workers drive his truck. It was a big truck. It had probably a 25-foot bed on it that had the stake. Stake sides and had racks on the side, and even had a roof over it, but no gate or nothing on the back. So they'd drive, and they'd go around through Cumberland, pick up kids. They'd have orchard crates on the sides, and in the middle, and these, you know, they'd have an, a, an adult in the back. He'd grab the kids and help them up on the truck, and he'd go to the next stop and get more. They'd swing down around Old Town and get kids. I'm talking probably 40 to 50 kids a day they'd go gather these kids up and haul them up onto the mountain to pick raspberries. Well, today, what do you think they would do if they seen someone with a big truck going picking up kids and hauling them? They'd probably be in jail. Yeah. But that's what we did back then. And it was fun. Now, so I've got I to even add this. So, you know, you've got young kids, 8 years old, and I started at 8, and up to, you know, 16, 17, whatever. So you'd get a new kid and they'd have a shed where the worker would work that would check your your ticket. So you'd pick raspberries in a gallon bucket. You'd hook it on your belt loop or your belt so you could pick with both hands. So once in a while, if they'd get a new kid, they'd say, hey, you pick the red ones and we'll get the black ones. Well, they were black raspberries you were supposed to be picking. So you know how kids are on real. Oh, okay. So they'd fill their bucket with red ones. Of course, they'd only do it once because once you take it up to the shed to get ticketed, they You can't. You ain't supposed to pick the red ones. You're supposed to pick the black ones. <laughs> so they wouldn't get credit. They spent all that time filling that bucket with those little red raspberries. But you know how kids are. Kids are ornery, right? So you had to have a little bit of fun. But, you know, it was hard work. It took a long time to fill up a gallon bucket of raspberries. And usually, I think, you do two at a time, and you fill them both, and you go get ticketed. But it, it taught us. It taught all of those kids that worked there. The value of work, it taught them what it took to do farming. A lot of hard work to provide food. Amen? Amen. The farmer in Jesus' parable. He went out to sow seed. Some fell by the wayside. The wayside would be that area, that the area of the ground that's not tilled. And you know, back then in that day, the way that he's talking about, they would have a sack that would have the seed, and they just put their hands in, and they would broadcast spread the seed. Now, if we were going to plant rye down at the farm, or we do plant rye, we put it in a planter, and we drive up and down the field. So, see, we're not going to get out there in that hard areas. But in that day, they're broadcast spreading, and naturally, some seed's going to fly. You know, the wind might blow it, or just naturally going to go out into that hard area where it's not going to take root. It's not going to go into the ground. It's going to lay there. The birds are going to come along and get it. We know that that seed represents the Word of God. But we know that that seed that goes out onto that hard ground represents that seed that falls on that heart that is not ready to hear the Word of God. We don't know the reason why. We don't know the circumstances in that person's life. But for some reason, they've hardened their heart. You've met that one. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't want to hear about God. You know, if something has hardened their hearts, they need prayer. We need prayer. That God will soften their hearts. Amen. Whatever the circumstances, maybe they, would, they need to forgive somebody. But there are those that their heart is hard, and that word that is spoken is not going to penetrate into their hearts. Some of that seed, as the parable says, falls upon the rocks where they have little soil. It may sprout and grow and plant for just a little bit, but it's not going to last long because it doesn't have much fertile soil to allow the roots to go down in deep, right? It needs to receive that nutrients from the earth in order for it to survive. That is the believer that believes for a little while, but whenever that temptation comes, they fall. They give in to that temptation because... They're not rooted and grounded in the Word. They haven't allowed the Word to ground and root into their heart, into their being. And then we have that that fell among the thorns. You know what happens there. The thorns, the weeds, those things that choke out the good plants. You know, even if you're a gardener, you understand this, right? Even if you only have a flower garden or maybe a little garden at your home, you you really understand this one, right? Those pesky old weeds, those things that we absolutely despise that we don't want, they are that which seems to thrive, don't they? Mm-hmm. And some of these weeds, if you've ever dug them up, you know why. Because you can you dig them out, they've got a root that long on them, right? Yeah. They've got a big old long tap root that goes down in there. They seem to survive better than the plant. But you've got to get them out of there or they're going to choke out the good plants. What you're trying to grow, right? You know, if you have a garden, you know, if you see all these weeds out there and you just go out there with a knife and cut them off, is that going to do any good? It looks good good for maybe a few, a couple days, right? But they're going to come right back up because you didn't get the root. It's the same way in these hearts. We got to get that stuff that ain't supposed to be in there, we got to get it out by the root. We can't just cut it off the surface, we got to get it out of there by the root. We got to weed them out of there. But we know that represents the cares of the world that choke out our time with God. That's what the weeds and the thorns and all that is in the the life of a believer. It's the cares of the world. Many don't have time for God because they are so concerned with the cares of the world. Maybe what's happening in the world is going to make us have a little more time to focus on what really matters, isn't it? I didn't know that this message was going to be this that important, and relevant for what's going on today. But there are so many cares of the world that hey, we're not going to have to be affected with here in the next couple of weeks, are we? God plants the word in your heart, but we've got to water it. We've got to fertilize it. We've got to make sure we've got to do our part in keeping our hearts fertile and ready and to, to receive what God's trying to put in, right? I found a story sowing and reaping it was ran in the the war cry carried this story and it was about a tenant farmer who had worked this property a tenant farmer is one who leases or rents property from a landowner so this gentleman had worked this farm for many many years trying to improve the production of this land he he worked at getting the weeds all taken off of the land he carried the rocks out to make the ground better to produce more, and he'd worked at it for many, many years. And the land was producing very well. Then something happened that caused this farmer to become very bitter. It was time to renew his lease, and the owner came to him and said, I hate to tell you this, he says, but my son is getting married, and I'm going to sell the farm to him. Well, the tenant farmer tried numerous times, made him generous offers to try to buy the land for himself. But the man would not reverse his decision. He no, said, I'm going to sell it to my son. So all, you know, just a few days from the time he was supposed to leave the farm, vacate the house, he just kept weeks and weeks, he was brooding and brooding about this. So finally one night he said, I know what I'm going to do. He gathered a bunch of seeds from the most pesky and noxious weeds that he could find. And he went out there and he spent hours and hours and hours spreading them all over the farm. He even went and gathered up the rocks that he would carried out of the fields and took them back into the fields. You probably know where I'm going with this. The day before he was supposed to leave, the farmer came and said, Guess what? He said, My son's plans to get married fell through. He says, I'd be glad to renew your lease. (laughs) The landowner couldn't understand why he started crying and says, Oh, what a fool, what a fool, what a fool I've been. We will sow what we reap. We'll reap what we sow, right? I always get that wrong. We will reap what we sow. Lastly, some feed, seed, seed, fell among good ground. It sprang up, yielded a great harvest. That is the word that is sowed among those who have hearts that have been prepared. You know, just as we plow and we disk and we remove rocks and we remove weeds and we do all that, again, we must do that to our hearts. Have them prepared. They must be irrigated. They must work as this. We work those fields, work these hearts, prepare them for God. We need to pray, God, help my heart to receive what you have for me. Lord, help my unfaithfulness. How many said that in the Bible, right? Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, remove that stubbornness from me. Lord, remove those cares and help me to focus on you. Once one receives the word of God into their hearts, that's just the beginning, friends. Just the beginning. It's a continual thing. Just like gardening, it's a continual thing, keeping those things out we don't want. It's the same way in our walk with the Lord. It's a continual thing to keep the things out that shouldn't be there so there's plenty of room for God, right? Amen. A key point to not miss is the sower went out. If the sower never went out to sow any seed, there would be no harvest. Friends, there would be no harvest. There would be nothing to go out there and reap come harvest time. Who is the sower of God's Word today? We are. Look in the mirror. You are. It's not just the pastors that are the sower of the Word. That's right. Believers are the sower of the Word. We are responsible for sowing God's Word. We sow it. We know that some's going to fall by the wayside. Don't let that deter you. Some's going to fall on that hard heart. Don't let that deter you. Sow the seed. Let God take care of the rest. Amen. Let God water. Let God work in that person's life. You just be responsible to sow the Word, what He's commanded us to do. Romans 10 14, 17, through 17 says, How then shall they call on Him, in whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe in Him, in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good, new, good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Friends, faith comes by hearing. How are they going to hear if we don't sow? Speak the word. There's a promise found in God's word that His word will always accomplish what it intends. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down in the snow from heaven, and do do not return there, but water the earth, and makes it bring forth and bud... That it will give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That's a promise we can stand on, friends. God's word will accomplish that which for he, that what he sent it forth to do. You know, Jesus said... Whenever they said your mother and your brothers are outside, and well actually it's the beginning of the, the parable. The disciples said, What does it mean? He said, Well those that were are seeing and not seeing that they may not see, I'll get this right, and hearing that they may not understand. You know, some people will read down and think, Well, well that's just not right. My friends, if you truly seek God, if you truly seek the Lord Jesus Christ, if you seek understanding, he will give you the understanding. Amen. He is not going to withhold the understanding from anybody that truly is seeking, that wants to hear. If they want to hear. Verse 18 said, Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken away. The Greek meaning of heed here means to be aware of. Be aware of how you are hearing the Word of God. To behold. So behold how you are hearing. Be aware of how you are listening. So that might mean putting that tablet down, putting that phone down, turning that television off, turning this off, turning that off, doing all those distractions off. Okay, Lord, now I'm ready. Right? Now I'm not picking on her. I don't even remember what the conversation was, but the other day, Karen says, did you say such and such, or this was, this was that or whatever? I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, I thought you did. She says, but I was reading my book. <laughs> what was it we were talking about? She said I don't even remember. But she says, well, I thought that's what it was, but I was reading. So, so I'm not even sure I heard what you said. I'm, I was, I'm just picking order. I really am. But that's the way, we can't be that way with God. Be aware. Take heed how you hear. Verse 21. He answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Hear the word of God and do it. You know, there are those, I'm going to go off track just a little bit. There are those that say Jesus didn't have any half-brothers or sisters. They say that those claimed to be brothers and sisters were actually step-brothers and sisters that Joseph had beforehand. But I believe the scripture supports the idea that his brothers and sisters were actually his half-brothers and sisters. I believe that they had the same mother, but they absolutely did have a different father. We know that Jesus' father was God. We believe that his brothers and sisters' father was Joseph. But the mother was Mary of all of them. I believe. I believe the Word supports it, and I'm going to share it with you. Matthew 1, 24. It says, when Joseph awoke up... Joseph awoke up. I can't read this morning. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Verse 25. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So he did not consummate the marriage until after she gave birth. That tells me he did consummate the marriage... After she gave birth to Jesus. So then they had other children. Other sons and daughters. Then in Matthew 5, 13, 55-56, his brothers are named. It says, is this, <clears throat> is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary? Or is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Jose, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters... Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get these things? Where did he get these things? So that takes me back to why was his mother and brothers out there seeking him? Why were they wanting to see Jesus? Well, I think the answer is found in another passage about the same thing. It it reads different. We go to Mark chapter 3, verse 21, and this is the NIV version. It says, When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. So why is his family looking for him? Because they've heard. Now think about this, friends. Jesus has lived with them for 30 years. He didn't begin his ministry until he 30. So he's lived at home, worked alongside Joseph, his family knew him, but here they're hearing the things that's going on. That, I mean, yes, he's healing people, but he's even saying your sins are forgiven. Now these are good Jewish people. They were raised, they go to synagogue every Sabbath, and here is their brother, her son. Well, he's out there saying that he has the authority to forgive sins. Has he lost his mind? They're going to see what's going on. Get it. We want to talk with him. He's lost his mind. They're wanting to take charge, take him back home. Say, come on, you need to calm down. You're really stirring things up in the community. Right? That's what's going on here. You need to come back with us. I want to read this thing from Matthew also. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. While he was still talking to the multitude, behold, His mother and brothers stood outside, seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and brothers are standing outside, seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hands toward the disciples and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know, Jesus is not being insensitive towards His family here. He really isn't. He loves His family. He cares about them. We need to look at that from the other perspective. Look what He's saying about His disciples. Look what He's saying about those who hear Him. Those who hear and do are my mother and brothers. That's what we're to look at. Not the negative side. Well, he, He was ignoring his family he wasn't ignoring his family he cared about his mother and brothers in john chapter 19 he's hanging on the cross it says now there stood by the cross of jesus his mother and his his mother and his mother's sister mary the wife of clopas and mary magdalene when jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by he said to his mother woman behold your son and he said to the disciple behold your mother And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So he cared deeply about his family. He wasn't unaffectionate toward them. But he's showing who is truly his family. See, we're going back to where... He's showing who is his family. Those who hear his word and do it. In Matthew 19, 29... He says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. We need to be willing to put him first, ahead of even our family. If our family don't want to follow Jesus, I'm sorry, but I have to follow Jesus. That's where we need to be. Him first. So we need to look about, most importantly, who is his family? His family. It's amazing to me that we are considered as close as his mother and brothers Amen. if we hear his word and do it. In John chapter 3, verses 35 and 36, and this is the New Living Translation, The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Amen. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son, listen to this, anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. So not only do we have to hear, what's it say? We have to obey. We have to hear, we have to... Parents, if you called to your son, son, I need you to come out and help me in the yard. You know that he heard you, but he doesn't come out. Well, in Jesus explanation, he really didn't hear you. Because if he heard you, if he truly heard you, he in here he would come out and help. Daughter, I need you to come down and help with the dishes. I'm getting faces. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> if they didn't hear you, whether well, you know they heard you, but they didn't hear you. They didn't hear you in their heart. Didn't come down. They really didn't hear you. How do you know that they heard you? They obey. If they truly hear you, they obey you. If we truly hear the Word of God, we obey it. We obey it. We do it. You know, I spoke of his family standing outside. They didn't believe in him. They didn't believe in his ministry at this point. Right. They didn't understand. Mary knew the words that the angel spoke to her. She pondered them in her heart. She, she, yeah, she knows that he said he's going to be the Savior of the world. But she didn't understand how that was going to take place. His own brothers, younger brothers, didn't believe in him then. But there's proof that they did eventually believe. James, his brother James, became the first major leader of the church. When they had a big council, James was the leader. He had things they had to say, okay, is this okay? Well, let's go see James. Let's go talk to James, right? James, James chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. It says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Go back to that word. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. So if you, are, if you only hear but don't do, you are deceiving yourself. You're not, going to, you're not deceiving anybody else. You're deceiving yourself if you only hear the Word of God. In all the churches, if there's someone that all they ever do is come to church, hear and hear and hear, listen, 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 but never do. They're never inspired to do anything. They are deceiving themselves. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves... Be doers, not just hearers, but do it. When the Word of God speaks to you, let it move you, that you obey it and do it. James says, you believe that we are saved by faith? Yes, but I'm going to demonstrate my faith by my works, what I do. We know that it's not those works that save us, but it's the love for what He's done that moves us to do His work. Go and spread the word. Spread the word. And let God do the rest. Be doers. Amen.